If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter 15. We're going to begin looking at verse number 22 this morning, the book of Romans, again, chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, and we will be uh, looking and finishing chapter 15 this morning. I'd like to ask uh, that if you are able, that you would stand out of reverence for God's word as we read it together. Let us hear what the Lord would say through the Apostle Paul, through Romans 15, beginning in verse number 22. The word of the Lord says this, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped out on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we confess before you that your word is living and active. Father, we know that you speak to us through your word. And so, Father, we would ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, right now to call our attention to your word, that you would use it to give us life, that you would use this, use your word to correct us, to cut us, and instruct us. Father, may your word this morning point us to Jesus Christ, our only Savior. And Father, we thank you for what you have done, are doing, and will do in this church. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. The more I read and study the Bible, the more convinced I am about the importance of the local church. The importance of the local church in this world and likewise the importance of the local church in your life 
and in my life and in the life of every single believer. Of course, in the scripture, we read such bold statements by the apostle John like this, that say, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, it's verses like this. It shows us that our love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ is drastically important and it's mostly seen in the life of a local congregation, in the local church. Jesus said in John, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for whom? For one another. Where do we see that love for one another most primarily taking place? It is in the life of the local church, the local congregation made up of those who are trusting in Christ. And in this letter, Paul is writing to believers in Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing this letter to them. And as we'll see today, he's hoping to be helped along by them financially by this church. And he wants to, as we're going to see here, he wants to have fellowship with them. He wants that unity to be seen that they have in Christ and the encouragement that that gives him and that he hopes gives that church as they interact together through Jesus Christ. So, but for Paul, he he doesn't just want to go to Spain on this mission trip that he is hoping to go on. He wants to go to Spain through the local church by way of the local church in Rome. And so his desire, as we're going to see in, as we saw some last week, is to go to Spain to take the gospel there. But he doesn't just by himself go to Spain. No, he seeks to go to Rome, to the local church in Rome, establish the relationships there, and be sent out by that church into the mission field. The local church, believers, gathered believers, living in unity, being obedient to God's word, covenanting together, practicing baptism, practicing communion, being under the preached word, is the most important thing to be a part of in the whole wide world. It's the most important institution to be a part of, that is the local church. And Paul doesn't skip over the church. Paul seeks to plant churches, that's his desire, that is what he is wanting to do. And so today, we find ourselves in some very specific types of verses. They're very specific in that they deal with personal details. Personal details written by Paul to the local church in Rome. We could say that the occasional nature of Paul's letter to the Romans really shines through in these verses. As we know, the New Testament letters, they were written to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific place. There was a specific location. They were occasional. And we see that especially in chapter 15. And so, as Adam pointed out last week, these verses speak about the Apostle Paul's travel plans of what he is hoping to accomplish in the future. And in the verses before us today, Paul speaks of why he hasn't yet made it to Rome, his desire to go to Rome, 
But he says, I need to go to Jerusalem first. I'm going to do some stuff in Jerusalem, take this offering there. And then after taking the offering to Jerusalem, I hope to come to you to Rome. And oh, by the way, I beg you, I urge you, please pray for me. Join together and pray for me that these things are successful. That is the context. That's basically what Paul is doing here in verses 22 to 23. These are very specific plans indeed that he lays out before this church. But there is much for us to learn from these inspired verses, much for us to learn about the apostle Paul, that we likewise need to have a similar desire that a born again believer, we see him having here for us to follow in his footsteps. And there's much for us to learn by way of theology as we go through these verses. So three main desires that Paul is communicating with the church in Rome. That's how I want to phrase these these verses. So three main desires, and we'll see the first desire in verse 22 and 24. It's a desire for the gospel to spread in unreached places. So the first point is we see Paul's desire for the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to spread in unreached places. Paul says this uh, very specifically in verse 22 and 23. As he says, I've wanted to come to you, but I have been hindered. I haven't made it to Rome yet, even though I'm desiring to come. Why hasn't he come? Because he has had work to do. These verses reference back to verse number 20 of uh, Paul. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. So the apostle Paul, he saw as a part of his ministry, we saw last week his specific ministry to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to pioneer type places where it has not been named. And Paul says, I've been up to that and that's why I haven't made it yet to Rome. I'm not there yet. But he says in verse 23, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions and since I've longed for many years to come to you, And then we see he hopes to go there. So Paul, his ministry, as we've seen, is that we might call a pioneer church planner. He wanted to see the gospel go where it was not, where it was not currently being believed and proclaimed. And again, it's interesting, isn't it? Where the apostle Paul says, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, That's really interesting. We saw the regions that he spoke of in verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way up to uh, Illyricum, all the way up there. This is a a wide, vast region. And Paul says, "I've, I've run out of room to do things here. Of course, not everybody had believed the gospel or received the gospel. But what we see seems like Paul viewed his ministry to establish a church in one of the main large cities and then having others come in behind him and build on his work. So the Apostle Paul saw his ministry, his specific ministry, to take the gospel, get the gospel planted, and notice that the Apostle Paul didn't just say, it's my desire to go to a place and to have people receive Jesus, say they believe in Jesus, and then move on. It's the Apostle Paul, we see through the other letters, he's seeking for churches, local churches, to be established in regions and local churches be established in cities. And then he backfills that with leadership and people who are trusting in Christ because he sees the importance of the local 
church. And so Paul says, I've kind of ran out of room for that in this area, and my desire is to go to Spain to take the gospel of Jesus Christ way out west, all the way to Spain and the Roman Empire. And I just want to pause here for just a moment. Something that we know about the Apostle Paul, and it's interesting for us to see, is he's probably about 60 years old when he is writing this letter to the Romans. Probably about 60 years old. And life expectancy wasn't that high during this time. In fact, the Apostle Paul would not make it to 70 in his life. Many believe he he died, uh, give or take, 66, 67, 68 years old, somewhere around in there. So the Apostle Paul was 60 at this stage in life, But listen, God is still at work in us until the day we die. And God has work for us to do until the day that we die. You see, one is never too old to be used of God. One might retire from work, but one never retires from being used of God. We need to see that in these verses Those of you that are, we'll just use 60 because I think that's, many commentators say that's what Paul was here. If you're, you're over 60, God is not done with you. God has work for you to do until the breath is gone out of your lungs. And for those of us that are, that are under 60, we need to see that and, and desire and to plan to be used. Race, not a sprint. The scripture warns us against starting well and starting fast and then turning away. Rather, we are to remain faithful and to persevere. And that's exactly what we see the Apostle Paul doing. I'm just kind of blown away that the Apostle Paul at this stage in his life and in this day, that being an an, an old age here in the New Testament, for him to say, I want to go to Spain. I want to go where the gospel has not been named. He is seeking to be faithful while the Lord has given him breath. So Paul had run out of room with his specific ministry calling. And verse 24, we come to verse number 24. And we see here one of the most important verses in the whole of the book of Romans. You say, now, wait a minute. We're in travel plans. You're preaching here and you think you got to draw attention to your verse, make it all that, right? No, verse number 24 is a very important verse for us because it tells us the purpose behind why Paul is writing all of the book of Romans. It it gives the reason in his mind for why he is writing this book. Look at what he says in verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. It gives us the reason why Paul is writing this whole letter He's writing this whole letter because he wants support to go on this mission to Spain. He wants the local church to receive him and to have fellowship with him and then to send him out to Spain by way of Rome. And so he desires for the Roman church to support him, to receive him, to have fellowship. Tom Schreiner uh, writes of this verse. He says this, quote, the primary reason for visiting Rome and the writing of the letter is to solicit their support for his Spanish venture. So think about that for a moment. This marvelous theological letter was written ultimately 
with a purpose behind it to support and to garner his desire to go to Spain with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this letter, just think about the letter, what all we've covered. Just think of the beautiful theological things that we have come to see in the book of Romans. Just think of the length. It's the longest uh, here of the letters. That's why it's put directly after Acts because they're put in in order of length. And Romans is right there. All of these pages and all of this truth written to support the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that church would receive Paul and send him out on his journey to Spain. Paul knew that if the church there didn't have a firm grasp on the same gospel and the same theology, that there would not be support for that mission to go to Spain. And so there are some, uh, a few points of application I think we need to take from that fact. Just to slow down for a minute, verse number 24, and say we need to learn something by that. The length of the book of Romans and all that is said throughout this glorious letter Just think about this to garner support for a trip so that him and the Roman church could get on the same page and that they would support him in this mission to Spain. Few things to see. First of all, I think very evident, unity in theology is drastically important. Unity in theology is drastically important. I mean, again, just consider this letter. All that the Apostle Paul has written to us and informing us about of Paul's teaching on sin, of Jews and Gentiles being underneath condemnation in the first chapters and how Jesus Christ is there. He is the one who brings forgiveness and we receive that by faith and all the glorious truths that we see in this book. Paul is writing all of these things because truth is important. Truth is important. Facts are important. Truth is important and unity in the truth is important. Many people today want to poo-poo the truth. They want to just relativize it. Put it to the side. Well, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Let's not get all tied up in all of that sort of thing. Even in the church, some people will say, well, doctrine divides. Doctrine divides. And so we just need to go kind of light on doctrine. We need, we need to go light on that because that, that could potentially divide people and, and people have different views on doctrine. And so we need to uh, just not, not really put forth doctrine in the church. To which it has been said, yes, doctrine does divide. It divides truth from error. And the truths of God's word should be truths that unite us. Truths that unite us, they're not truths that divide us. They are truths that unite us. And that's, that's why I think Romans 14 and 15, Paul even shows here are truths that you can agree to disagree on and you need to give people space, right? You, you, you need to have room for one another. That these sorts of things shouldn't divide us, but there are truths that should divide us and we need to unite around those truths, I mean, just think about it. If you say truth doesn't matter or we should kind of relativize truth, what about the truth that Jesus Christ came to this world as we just sang about and that he never sinned? 
that Jesus never sinned, the impeccable nature of Jesus Christ, that he never once sinned upon this earth. That's truth, isn't it? That's doctrine, isn't it? That Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins, to die on the cross for us. And all these songs that we sang, that he died for me. He died in my place. He took my punishment and he was raised victoriously and gloriously on the third day. That's a fact and that is truth and that should unite us together because truth is drastically important. And so I just, in this day and age that we live in, I just want to encourage you, take truth seriously. Take the truth of the Bible seriously. It is important. We must know it, study it, believe it and come underneath the umbrella of the truth of God's word in unity. So truth is important. Unity in theology is drastically important. And second little thing to say here, unity in theology is drastically important for missions, right? It's drastically important for missions. Again, Paul wrote this letter to garner support for his trip to Spain to make sure they're on the same page theologically. To put it uh, differently, you want to deliver the right news Right? If you're giving your life for this and you're going there, you want to deliver the truth. If truth is important, you want to deliver the right truth. And if they disagreed on what needed to be proclaimed, there wouldn't be unity, there wouldn't be support, and there wouldn't be a sending out of this very important truth. The churches in Rome needed to receive Paul and to receive his message in order to send him out. And the same principle is true in our day and age. The same principle is true. The thing I love most about being a church that cooperates with the Southern Baptist Convention, for me personally, the number one thing to cooperate with the Southern Baptist Convention is the International Mission Board. For for me, that's, that's, that's a biggie because the International Mission Board, what we do is we all give money to a pot All local churches, uh, all 45,000 of us, give money to a pot, and then that pot, seven missionaries all around the world that are supported 100% financially by churches like us that give money to this program that goes to support these missionaries. Are there other missionary programs? Yes. That are doing great work? Yes, yes, yes. There are. We need to be a part of one of them. We are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we give to support and we support these missionaries. But listen, do you know we just don't send anybody on the mission field? We just don't send anybody on the mission. There's a process. Uh, somebody just comes up, you know, and say, hey, I, you know, I want to go to Brazil. You know, I saw it seems like people have fun down there. I, I want to go. I want to be a missionary, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah, here you go. Off you go. We'll support you 100%. No, there's a process and each of our missionaries have to sign something that's called the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. They have to convictionally sign that because truth is important and truth is important for missions. Because we want to send out missionaries who believe what the gospel says here in this word about Jesus Christ being the salvation for sinners and coming to him in faith, period. And so we want to get the right message and we want to get the right message out. And so even in our own day, we see that practically, the truth being important and it's important for missions in the way that we send out 
missionaries. It's true the same way, planting churches. When you plant churches, you want to plant churches that are solid, biblically, foundationally, upon the rock of Jesus Christ. That's our history as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, as we came from Leonardtown Baptist Church to be upon the foundation of the rock of God's word, and that should be our desire. Truth is important, theology is important, and it's important for missions as well. Many and unreached places of the globe are currently hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ because of churches like ours that give money to support these missionaries. And that is something that we should be very thankful for and encourage and seek to grow. Third thing we must see is that we must support the truth financially. You knew I was going there. It's talking about money, not just me. You see that in this verse. Verse number 24 says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. That word translated to be helped had behind it this sense of financial help, financial support of accompanying someone with what they need to make the journey. I think probably this would mean maybe some people from that church in Rome would maybe accompany Paul. That that could be behind this. Surely within there too is this concept of the Apostle Paul being supported financially by this church in Rome. You see, it's up to the church of Jesus to spread the gospel of Jesus. It's up to local churches to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. And a way that we do that, just being frank, is by finances of supporting people that do go to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a personal question here this morning. Do you make room in your budget for the support and advancement of the gospel? You have a line item for that. Uh, on your spreadsheet or whatever you got? Do you, do you have a support, support of the gospel? Do you have a line like that? Each December, which is hard to believe, December is coming, and it's coming rather quickly, uh, we have our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And this offering, uh, if you don't know who Lottie Moon is, go home, Google it, and it's a great story. Look it up. Uh, this is an offering for our international missionaries that goes 100% to support them on the field. I encourage you, this is a very important offering. Early next year, we're going to, well, currently, we're trying to raise money to build a building. But again, as Pastor Adam pointed to last week, to what end? To what end is that for? What's to see the truth of the gospel take root in this community? to see more people come to faith and be discipled all to the glory of God. Are you making room in your budget to give money to financially support the advancement of the gospel? Fourth thing here, gospel fellowship strengthens us. At the end of verse 24, Paul says, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And later in verse number 32, he speaks about, quote, being refreshed in your company. There is a great strengthening that comes from fellowship in the gospel message. Of seeing the truth of forgiveness of sins changing people and then those people being around each other. Each other that have been freed. Each other that has been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the benefits of regularly attending church 
is being able to be encouraged by just being around other believers. To sing together. I don't know about you, I'm always encouraged by singing together with one another, no matter what the week has been like before, to come together and remind us, remind each other of the glorious truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done. It just helps put things into perspective in this life that is crazy and chaotic. And there is a fellowship, is there not, between being around other brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a fellowship that comes from being together, praying together, singing together. We need one another. What an encouragement it is to see this fellowship happen overseas and to see this type of fellowship happening in other nationalities. That's what Paul is saying here. His desire to go to Rome, he hasn't met them. His desire to go there and for them to receive fellowship and to be strengthened by one another. Those of you that have been overseas, maybe to Moldova, to Thailand, to France, to Mexico, to Guatemala, Brazil, or anywhere else you've been on mission-type trips, or maybe trips, businesses that took you overseas and you met other believers while you were over there, can't you attest to the sweetness of the fellowship of Jesus Christ, of being around other brothers and sisters in Christ? Can't you attest and know of how sweet it is to find fellowship with another follower of Jesus Christ and immediately the bonds that that brings to you? One of the, we we currently, Adam and myself, have been to this uh, church. I went last year down to Manaus and Adam is going this year to speak and do things with, with the youth there. And we've had a really strong bond with some brothers and sisters in Christ there in that local church And it's all because of Jesus Christ and the fellowship that that brings. We see that internationally and we see that locally. We see that in the congregation. We see that throughout the week in our home groups as we interact with one another and the strength and encouragement that that gives us. Don't neglect, don't neglect those things, the way that God strengthens us. So Paul desired to have fellowship with them with the church in Rome. And so we see a desire to the gospel to spread here in unreached places. And this brings us secondly to the point, a desire for the churches to be unified in the truth. A desire for the churches to be unified in the truth. Somewhat similarly, we see in verse 25, Paul says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So he says, I want to come to you. I finally can because there's no elbow room for the gospel ministry here. So I'm going to come, but wait a minute, Before I do, I've got to go to Jerusalem. And then in verse 26 and following, uh, Paul describes why he is doing that. And it's very interesting because most likely Paul is writing this letter from Corinth, which is much closer to Rome than to Jerusalem. It would be similar, uh, just bear with me, it would be similar to Paul wanting to go to Washington, D.C., And he's writing the letter from Prince Frederick. And he says, but hold on, I got to go down to Point Lookout first before I go to Washington, D.C. Now, that's not to scale, all right? All those of you that love love maps like me, that's not to scale. Uh, But that's similar to what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's up at this point, and and here is Rome. And he says, wait a minute, I got to go all the way down to Jerusalem. And then I'm going to come up to see you. Why wouldn't Paul 
just send somebody else to deliver this love offering. I mean, isn't it his ministry to be about church planting and not just delivering money to other churches? You see, Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem because this gift was all tied up with unity in the truth in the local churches of this region. To receive this gift that these churches of Macedonia and Achaia, these Gentile churches had brought together to take to the Jewish followers in Gentile, uh, Jews in Jerusalem, was all tied up with unity in the truth. To receive the gift, to put it this way, was to receive these churches in gospel unity. And to reject the gift was likewise to reject these churches and the unity that would be destroyed. And so the apostle Paul knew that this was very important. Much was at stake. And he says, I, need, I want to come to you, but I need to go to Jerusalem because there is this money that has been taken up to give to them from these Gentile churches. Right, this Gentile offering, this love offering, we could call it, to the poor, the poor saints in Jerusalem, who the gospel had gone out of Jerusalem to places like Macedonia, Achaia, etc. Churches were established, people were saved, and now these Gentiles wanted to give an offering back to the brothers and sisters in Christ who were Jewish in Jerusalem. So, few things we need to see here. Paul is very concerned with unity in the local church. Paul's very concerned with that. He doesn't downplay that unity that needs to happen between local churches and in the local church. And so point number one here, I think for us to see, we likewise need to be a people that are concerned with unity. Not unity to the exclusion of truth, but unity in the truth. Have it in your mind to seek to build up and unify the local church. It's the whole reason Paul didn't go from Corinth up to Rome, which would have been geographically easier. He went all the way to Jerusalem because of his love for these local churches and his love for the truth because he wanted to see them all united together, Jew and Gentile, one people underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unity is drastically important to the Apostle Paul and unity should be important to you and to me in the local church. Put it another way, don't be a pot stirrer. Those people are always trying to stir the pot. Don't, don't just have it upon you. To, your ministry is, is to be a feather ruffler. I just need to cause a little division to keep us healthy here in this church. Right? Or to, to be someone that seeks for unity, look at how important unity is in the local church. Look at, this, look at the stretch that the Apostle Paul went to because of unity in local congregations. I think that's a word that each of us as believers need to hear. Be someone who strives for unity, gospel unity in the truth. Be concerned with building others up in love. Second, we need to be a people that delight to do our duty, that delight to do our duty. Did you catch how uh, Paul put these two things together in verse number 27? 
He says, they were pleased to do it. And what does he say right after that? And indeed, they owe it to them. They were pleased to do it, and it was their duty to do it. (laughs) It was fitting for the Gentiles who had come to share in the spiritual blessings of the Jews to give them material blessings. It was the proper thing for them to do. They're happy to do it, right? We need to be a people that delight to do our duty, what we know we should do. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. Tithing is a duty for us as believers, And God loves a cheerful giver. Hopefully these two things should go together. Duty and delight can and should go together. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. It's a duty, men, to love your wife, but also I hope that you do that task with joy and you do that task with delight. The examples could go on and on that scripture, things that commands us to do, that we're to do with a joyful heart and that we're to do them gladly. And in these verses, Paul is connecting. Do you see how he's connecting the spiritual with the material? You see that they've received these spiritual blessings and it's only right for them to give this material blessing back to them. Receiving spiritual blessings and connecting that to giving material possessions. Again, just touching on the wallet again, it's been said, you know what you value by what you spend your money on. I think that's a true statement. To value the spiritual life that you have been given in Christ will lead to a different material spending in your life. To value the spiritual life that you have been given in Christ will lead to a different material spending in your life. Hopefully, your spending is different now that you are a believer from when you were not a believer, right? Inevitably, there will be a connection there. And these believers in Macedonia and Achaia had been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been brought into the family of God and they hear about people they've never met in Jerusalem that were poor, They were probably having trouble. It could be from a famine that was taking place there. The text doesn't directly tell us. But they were struggling. They were struggling there and they had compassion. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ had changed them. And they had received that gospel from these Jews who sent it out to them. And they said, let us take up a love offering for them and help to alleviate their poverty. And we're happy to do it. Paul says, that's right, you're happy to do it and and that's right for you to do. It's your duty for you to do. This is proper for you to do. I think that's the reason why Paul uses the phrase he does in verse 28. He says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. That's delivered to them what has been collected is literally and sealed to them this fruit. It's kind of a difficult, so our translations go trying to explain that. And sealed to them this fruit. Sealed as in uh, secure by putting a seal on it. Uh, kind of think of wrapping a bow on the box, right? You're, you're saying, here is this. It's, it's signed, sealed and delivered. Delivered to them this fruit. Well, what, why would you say fruit? They're not literally giving apples and oranges and grapes. What is this? Well, fruit as in the fruit of what the gospel has produced in their lives. The fruit of the offering of these people who've been changed by the gospel who want to send an offering. It's a work of God 
that has been brought about. And what a glorious thing it would be for those saints in Jerusalem who had fallen on hard times to hear of these other churches, these Gentile churches that have gathered together an offering to send to them to alleviate their sufferings and to encourage them in the faith. And those Jews there, it was drastically important because to reject this offering would be to reject these churches. So the apostle Paul says, I must go and deliver this with my own hand. This brings us to the last point. Just quickly here, we see Paul have a desire for the work to be lifted up in prayer. A desire for the work to be lifted up in prayer. Paul asks in a very strong way for the church in Rome to pray for him. Look at verse 30. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul says, I appeal to you, I beg you, I urge you. And he's begging for prayer. Strive together with me in prayer, he says. Verse 31 describes Paul's prayer request. Here is what Paul says, here's his request. Pray for me in these things. First, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, in the area of Jerusalem. And second, that Paul would be received by these believers. That's why that offering and gift was much more than just receiving money. It was receiving those who gave the money. And verse 32 describes the purpose of this prayer so that Paul could make it to Rome. He's asking them to pray for his safety. These unbelievers were unbelieving Jews who wanted to do away with Paul. Unbelievers could be translated those who disobey. He said, there's people in Rome, or excuse me, there's people in Jerusalem who disobey. They're the unbelievers and they seek me harm. Pray for my physical safety in Jerusalem. Rescue me from them. I want to take the gospel to Spain. Pray for me that I am not harmed. Acts chapter 21 and following records Paul's visit to Jerusalem. Believing Jews sought to kill the apostle Paul. They started physically beating him because of his teaching about Jesus Christ. This just always gets me. Think about it. 60 years old. 60 years old. This man is about to be physically beaten to death by these Jews because of his love for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the unity of the church. So he takes this offering there. They're beating him. And literally, uh, the, the Roman tribune had to send soldiers to literally pick Paul up and carry him out of the crowd before the crowd killed him. So Paul was arrested, sent off to Rome to stand before Caesar. Later in Acts chapter 24, verse 17, we deduce from that that they did receive the offering. They did receive it. The answers were, uh, his answer for them to receive his support was, was answered in a positive. They received, praise God, they received that offering from these churches. But what about Paul's prayers for safety? Was that answered? And some might say no because of how Paul was beaten and almost put to death. But I think the answer there is yes. Yes, God answered his prayer. The prayer was answered by the Roman tribune who sent these soldiers down when Paul was about to die and plucked him and carried him out to a different place before he was killed. 
Did God answer the prayer how Paul thought it might be answered? Or how the church in Rome prayed that it would be answered? I mean, is that how the church in Rome would have prayed? Lord, rough him up a little bit, you know, give it to him a little bit just so we can see his love for you. And, and, but don't kill him, you know, but, but get, you know, just have him, give a good beating and then save him. No, they wouldn't have prayed that. They would have prayed, Lord, don't let him be harmed. Don't let him be harmed at all. Keep him safe. I think there's a lesson there that we need to see in these verses. Sometimes God answers our prayers in ways that we do not expect. Sometimes God allows things to happen to us that we don't want to happen, that we even pray don't happen, but God allows to bring about his greater purpose in our lives and his greater purpose to glorify his name. In fact, it was the Jewish opposition to Paul that was the means that he got sent to Rome. Because there was a cruise ship leaving Jerusalem by the government of uh, Rome and that cruise ship and all the amenities that one could want were setting sail to go all the way to Rome with a bunch of other prisoners who, you know, I'm being very sarcastic at this point, uh, who the Apostle Paul, you'll know this was the trip that he went on that got shipwrecked. This is the one where the Apostle, it, they crashed. He went on an island, same one. Paul's bringing firewood in and then the viper comes out, latches on to him and etc. etc. So Paul made it there. God's prayer was answered, but I I doubt Paul prayed for it to come about like it did. But God is in the work of answering prayers many times in ways that we don't see or expect him to do. You found that true in your life? Just because God doesn't answer specifically our prayers of specifically how we ask, doesn't mean that God doesn't hear us? Doesn't mean that God isn't answering It doesn't mean that God is not at work in your life. God is at work. He's bringing about his will to happen and we need to be faithful, faithful followers of him. Brothers and sisters, we must be a praying people. Prayer is something, I just dare to say, something that we all need to grow in. That we all need to grow in. One of the best ways to grow your prayer life is to realize how dependent upon God you really are. Realize how dependent upon God you really are because you see, lack of prayer really just reveals an abundance of pride in our life. Of thinking we've got this. I've got it under control. Right? When a crisis hits, nobody's got to come to you and say, now be sure and pray. Be sure and pray for this. But no, you're, you see your need and you pray. Even when there aren't times of crisis, we need to see our need and pray. And we need to see that the work of the gospel is God's work. The work of changing lives is God's work. And we need to realize that and pray for that. Pray for God to grow us as a church in people that are converted We need to pray for that. We need to pray because it's God's work to make it happen. And so our lack of prayer for that reveals a dependence upon ourselves. 
So we must pray, pray to God, pray for him to be at work advancing the gospel here, locally, globally. These verses really display Paul's heart to us, his desire to see the gospel spread to unreached peoples, his desire for the churches to be unified in the truth, his desire for the work to be lifted up in prayer. All of this in the context of the local church. As we conclude today, I pray that we would have a love for the truth of the gospel. A firm commitment to see it spread to the unreached in this world. If we as a church don't take it upon our shoulders, who will? In a commitment in our lives to support that work financially. May we see our need to lift these prayer requests up to the Lord, knowing that only he is able to make it happen. In just a few moments, or now I'm going to close in prayer and uh, the worship team's going to come and we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. I just encourage you to sing this as a song of praise, but also uh, a song of prayer, of dedication to the Lord, of of us in our lives, listening to the verses that we sing, asking God to be our vision in our life, the truth and the gospel and all that that entails. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, thank you for grace that has reached us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we would ask that you would help us to be a people who seek the truth of the gospel to take place in our lives, to take place in this community and all around the world. Lord, help us to depend upon you in prayer with our lives. And Father, indeed, may you be, may you be our vision. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.